Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Has anybody ever uh, done something good for somebody and it, and it backfired? Have I done something good for somebody? It just like, it just backfired like right in your face. Like you had all these great intentions, but it just, um, I had that happen uh, uh, to me many times, but um, I had that happen uh, with my kids, with my two oldest. Um, my son is Jeremiah, he's 20, but when he was 12, um, and then my daughter, Jordan, who is 19, when she was 11, uh, I decided to take them to, to grab a smoothie and, um, and so we're sitting down and we're, we're drinking our smoothies and we're just kind of, you know, talking and all that. And, um, and my son is, if you know him, he's tall, he's probably my height and, um, really skinny. And, uh, and he makes this comment. He says, man, I'm freezing. And he's like shaking. And, and I look at him and I say, well, well, Maya, that's, that's because there's no fat on your body. Right. And, um, and so my daughter, Jordan, um, who I need to remind you was 11 at the time and uh, who has a tendency to kind of say, say things the way she sees things, right? She hears that and here's what her response was. Dad, I bet you're really warm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes in life, um, Good intentions are met with unexpected responses. And, and that, that day, um, it was an innocent 11-year-old that really didn't know what she was saying. But uh, if you think about it, sometimes in our life, the responses, the unexpected responses we get aren't so innocent. Like sometimes they are, are very intentional they're not really funny when they come to us. They are discouraging. They are hurtful. They, they cut deep to the heart. Sometimes they can even be overwhelming. And so in life, when that happens, what do we do? Like, what do we do when, as we're going through life, we're, we're doing a lot of right things. We keep trying to do all the right things, but we're constantly met with resistance and roadblocks. Well, that's what I want to take some time today and, uh, and talk about. As we're in week four of this series, as Pastor James mentioned, called Get It Back. And if today's your first time with us, uh, just kind of dropping in, or maybe first time in a few weeks, and, and this is the first message of the series, you may be wondering, okay, what does it mean? And we've defined it as it relates to getting it back um, as the, the presence and the power of God that's alive and active in our life. But not just in our life, like we can have it in our families, we can have it in our career, we can have it in our business, we can have it in our church, we can have it in our nation, but, but oftentimes what happens is that over time, our priorities begin to change, we get, we get busy, we begin to compromise in some areas. And if you're anything like me, you begin to notice that it, 
right? The presence and the power that is alive and active in your life begins to kind of to fade away over time. And the good news about the story of Nehemiah is it's a story about a nation that had it, and then they lost it, and then they got it back. And so we've been digging in this over the last four weeks, and we've got a couple more weeks to go. Uh, but over the last four weeks, we've been looking at what does it look like in our life to be able to get it back? And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you from this title, if you're taking notes, Keep Fighting. Keep Fighting. You know, I've learned this over the last 27 years as I've been, I've been following God is that, that obedience to God is always met with opposition. Have you noticed that in your journey with God? Like, like every time you've made the choice of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in this area or a New Year's resolution, I'm going to make church kind of a, a priority in my life this year. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to try to do some things in my life that I know is going to move me in a direction towards God. Inevitably, every time we take steps towards God, you and I face some sort of opposition. There's self-inflicted opposition, right? That's the poor choices that, that, that we make so frequently in our life. There's uh, circumstantial opposition. That's when we find ourselves, we kind of like the, the wrong place at the wrong time, and we just kind of experience some opposition that, that we've got to navigate. But there's a third kind of opposition that oftentimes in our life we overlook. Oftentimes we don't realize that, that we have this third kind of opposition that is trying to, to keep us from fulfilling God's plan and purpose for our life. See, I think a lot of times we struggle to realize that there is a spiritual war being waged against us. A spiritual war. Jesus talked about it. He said that a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he speaks of Satan as a thief. And I don't know how many in here in this room have experienced something that has been stolen in their life before, Andrea and I have experienced that, that thieves never show up announcing themselves, right? They never show up announcing themselves. They sneak their way in. They do it secretly in such a way that we don't really realize that it's happening in a moment. We realize that after we recognize that once, what we once had is now gone. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to take away God's plan and purpose for our life. And what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 4 and these few chapters that surround Nehemiah 4 is that he's got some opposition beginning to come against him as he sets out to do what God has called him to do, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Some of the opposition that he faces is, is a guy by the name of Sanballat, a guy by the name of Tobiah, another guy by the name of 
Geshem. These are three governors over cities or regions that surround Jerusalem, and they cannot stand the Israelites. Like everything inside of them wants to see the Israelites continue to suffer, continue to be stuck in status quo, to continue to be exposed with a a broken down wall. And if you think about it in our own life, in our own journey with God, that that's kind of similar to how Satan feels about us. But as we began to take those steps of faith, moving towards God's plan and purpose for our life, that what he hates the most is the idea of us walking and experiencing that. What he hates the most is the idea of us experiencing God's best and his purpose for our life. He's totally cool with the status quo. He's totally cool with not causing everything in our life to be destroyed. If he can just keep us from moving towards God's plan and purpose for our life. And so in Nehemiah chapter four, we, we kind of drop into the story and we see these three evil governors and we see the opposition that they began to bring against Nehemiah and those that are working to rebuild the wall. And I want us to read that today. In verse one, it says this, that Sanballat, now Sanballat was um, from the area of Moab, which is going to be important um, at the end of the message today, but, but Sanballat was, was very angry when he learned that, that we were rebuilding the wall, that he flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Now, the Jews at this point had, had rebuilt kind of half the wall, so part of the work was done, but not all the work. And, and I want you to to kind of picture like all of these workers in Nehemiah along the wall beginning to build and, and develop. And all of a sudden, these guys begin to come around. And here's what Sanballat, it says in verse two, that saying in front of, of all of his friends, right? He's got his little posse with him. And all of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, here's what he does. He says, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite, again, that is important for the end of the message, who is standing beside him, notice this, he remarks, That stone wall, that stone wall that you've kind of halfway built to this point, that it would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. You know, I find it interesting in these three verses that the same methods that they're using to oppose Nehemiah and the workers are the same methods that Satan uses to oppose us. Sanballat, in the story, Sanballat is is attacking what God had called them to do, to build the wall. And Sanballat uses a pretty powerful weapon. If you look at the questions that he is asking or the, the attacks that he is giving in 
the story. They are attacks that are sowing seeds of doubt and discouragement. Now, doubt and discouragement is is a pretty nasty thing that we have to navigate and deal with because there's always a trace of truth when it comes to doubt and discouragement. You see, for the Jews, they were feeble. For the Jews, they were, they were not going to complete the wall in a day. That they had lousy materials to work with. You see, doubt and discouragement, it often has some truth, but it negates the truth. The truth that you and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I find it interesting too with Sambalot, the meaning of his name. His name means enemy and secret. It's what doubt and discouragement is. It's an enemy to you and I, an enemy against God's plan and purpose for our life, but it's a secret one. It doesn't really come announced in our life. It's something that just kind of begins to, to work itself up. You see, doubt and discouragement is an enemy to God's best in our life because what it does is it causes us to view God's plan and purpose for our life through human effort, through whether we think that we can do it or not, rather than spirit empowerment. And then you look at this guy named Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, the question that he poses is a little bit different. He's actually attacking the work that they had already done. They had built half the wall, and he makes the statement of even a fox running across the top of it would cause it to come crashing down. He's attacking and saying that the work that they've already done is not good enough. And doesn't Satan do that in our life? Doesn't he come against us and he, you know, we began to make some positive strides in our life. We began to move forward and beginning to let go of some things in our life. And then all of a sudden along the way, we trip up. All of a sudden along the way, we, we fall. We go back to, um, we make a poor choice and we go back to some of the things that we used to do. And, and what happens? The voices that come from Tobiah are voices of insecurity. They're voices of inadequacy. We begin to hear how the work that we've already done, the steps that we've already made, the progress we've already done, like we may not be completely out of the addiction, but it certainly doesn't have control over us the way that it did. But the moment we slip up and we have a drink again, our temptation that comes from the Tobias in our life is that of insecurity and inadequacy saying the work that you've already done, the progress that you've done to this point is not good enough. And then you've got Geshem. This guy's gonna surface in Nehemiah 2 and 6 and, and what Geshem does is he spreads lies. He attacks Nehemiah's character and his intentions. He begins to say that, 
that Nehemiah's intentions on rebuilding the wall is to, once the wall is done, they're going to revolt against the Persian king because he wants to be king himself. And I started thinking about those false accusations and the things that we experience when people are, 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 are speaking negatively against our character and our intentions. And, and I thought, well, I wonder what his name means. And I go and I, and I look it up and it means violent rainstorm. <laughs> like, isn't that how we feel sometimes when we just, from every direction, we're getting these false accusations about our character, about our integrity, about our intentions. It feels like it feels like we're walking in the middle of a violent rainstorm, that it's coming from all over and there's no way of escape. It's interesting that these three evil governors represent some of the similar things that you and I struggle with that often keep us from moving forward in what God has called us to do. Nehemiah says in in chapter six, verse nine, he kind of sheds some light of the intent behind these three and their accusations. He says they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us Notice this, and stop the work. And then I love this next statement. He says, so, (laughs) Nehemiah says, so I continued the work with even greater determination. Like they're trying to intimidate and discourage to stop the work, but I decided that we're going to work with even greater determination. Now, I want you to notice something in this story, that all Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem have is insults and intimidation. Insults and intimidation. They don't have anything else. And the reason why they don't have anything else is because Nehemiah is holding some letters, If you were here in week one or week two, the letters that Nehemiah is holding in this moment are letters from the king giving him authority to do the work that he's doing. So these three jokers have no legal authority whatsoever to stop Nehemiah and the other workers from rebuilding the wall. All they can do is try to intimidate them And get this, and hope that they would stop working themselves. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like at the end of the day, all Satan has against you and I and the purposes of God in our life is a voice. He has no authority to stop what God is doing in your life. All he has is a voice. And what that voice does is it tries to sow seeds, seeds to discourage, seeds of intimidation, trying to get you 
to step down off of the wall and to quit building. You and I hold letters. You and I hold letters given to us by God through the word of God, giving us authority to do what God has called us to do. The only way that we can stop moving forward in what God has called us to do is to make the choice to come down off that wall and to give in to the intimidation and the insults and the discouragement that the evil Tobias and the evil Sanballats and the evil Geshems bring against us every day of our life. That's why it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, oh, but you, like you belong to God. That you've already won a victory over these people. What people? The Sanballats the discouragement, the doubt, the Tobias, the insecurity, the inadequacy, the Geshems, the false accusations, like you've already won the battle over those people. Why? Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Friend, God is saying to us today, But it's time to get back up. It's time to get back to the work that God has created us to do. To stop giving the Sanballats and the Tobias and the Geshems in our life more authority and influence than they have. Because they're just a voice. They're just a voice. You and I have been given the letters of authority to do everything that God has called us to do. So how does Nehemiah navigate this season in his life? Like how does he recognize what voices to listen to and what voices to turn You see, he was able to distinguish between three types of people. And if you and I aren't able to distinguish between these three types of people in our life, that ultimately it's going to end up resulting in some of the, the greatest emotional pain that, that we will ever experience. The first type of person that we've got to be able to identify and distinguish in our life are wise people, wise people. These are the people that, that don't just love God, but they obey God. These are the people that have, have made the choice that they're going to live a self-sacrificing life, that they're going to elevate God's word, right, above their own wants and desires, that as they began to live out their life and they come against a choice to make, they're going to ask God, what decision should I make? And if they want to make this decision, they are going to submit themselves 
to God's omniscience, all-knowing power, and to do what God has led them to do. Wise people aren't perfect. They don't get it right every time, but they live a surrendered life. They elevate God's kingdom and God's purposes above their own kingdom and their own purposes. And so when we recognize those people, wise people, in our sphere of influence, in our our daily lives, what do we do with those people? We draw them close. Those are the kind of people that we want to we want to have in our inner circle. Those are the kind of voices that we want to open our ears to and to listen. Those are the kind of people that we want to ask for advice from. But then there's a a second kind of person. The second kind is a simple person. Where wise people represented Nehemiah in the story, simple people represented the workers in the story. These are people that love God, but they're still trying to kind of figure the faith thing out. They're still trying to kind of figure like, is this life about me or is it about a a greater purpose? And what does my life look like in the midst of that? And and they're still kind of figuring that out. These are people that oftentimes are around the things of God, but they're not necessarily in the things of God all the time. An example of this, and, I, and I, I, I love being around as a pastor, I love being around um, these kind of, of people. Um, I had an experience one time, um, I had got done uh, preaching a message and it wasn't this church, um, but I got done preaching a message and I came off the platform and I had an usher and I could just tell that this usher was like coming right at me. And, um, and coming off a platform after a message, you never know, like is somebody coming at you to like, like throw a punch or a hug or what, what, what's coming. And, and so he comes down and, um, and he says, he says, pastor, pastor. I was like, yeah, that was the best MF and sermon I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It was a simple person, somebody that loves God, is pursuing God, is, is, is trying to figure the thing out, but, he, but still having some, some stuff, still having some baggage, still working through some things in his life. And how, how do we respond to simple people? We don't let them influence us, we influence them, right? Wise people, we draw in, we seek advice, we seek counsel, Simple people, we influence them. We don't let them influence us. And then Nehemiah recognized a third kind of person. And if you and I can't recognize this kind of person in our life, it's going to lead to a lot of heartache. The third one is an evil person. And in this story, Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, and then what we're going to see in a second, the false prophets, represented evil people. These are people that oppose the things of God. These are people that call truth hate. (laughs) These are people that manipulate the scripture, right, to fit their own desires. Jesus called these kind of people wolves in sheep clothing. 
Now, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but I've never had an evil person in my life come walking into my life with this big t-shirt that just says evil. They never show up announced. Like Jesus said, a thief in the night, right? And in Nehemiah chapter six, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they end up hiring these false prophets to lie to Nehemiah about his intentions. They present themselves as wise people that just are all about the things of God when in actuality, they were evil people against the things of God. You know, one of the hardest lessons that you and I have to learn in our life is that just because somebody says they're a believer doesn't mean we believe them. Like just because somebody posts something on social media in a scripture or somebody says that they're one thing doesn't mean that we necessarily believe them. That if we want to be able to identify the difference between a wise, simple, and evil person, we don't watch what they say. We don't watch what they post on social media. We don't pay attention to the way that they make us feel. We watch what they do. And how do we relate to those kind of people? Like, how do we relate to evil people? We follow Nehemiah's example in chapter six. We dismiss and we keep building. He says, so Sambalot and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me, which makes sense that he called it the plain of Oh, no. Um, sorry. <laughs> Verse three, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come down. How do we relate to evil people? We don't. Nehemiah didn't meet with them. He didn't reason with them. He didn't talk with them. He just kept building. Can we pray for evil people? Can we love evil people? Can we share Jesus with evil people? Absolutely. But don't give them access to your life and certainly don't allow them to keep you from moving in the direction that God is taking you. I want to close with this powerful statement in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah says, then as I looked over the situation, what situation was Nehemiah looking over? He was looking over a, a halfway built wall with a group of Israelites that had grown discouraged with Sanballat and Tobiah and the Geshems around hurling insults and attacking and 
They were feeling insecure. They were feeling inferior. They were feeling inadequate. They were feeling overwhelmed. All these false accusations were coming at him from every direction. And here's what Nehemiah says. He says, I called together the nobles and all the workers, the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. He says, remember the Lord, the Lord who is great and glorious. Like remember what God has done in your life to this point. Like, no, you're not where you hope to be, but yes, you're not where you used to be. Like, although you might have some prayers that haven't been answered yet, you've got some prayers that have been. And so begin to remember in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your insecurity, Nehemiah looks at them and he says, remember the Lord who was great and glorious. Friend, what we choose to focus on matters. What we choose instead of looking at all the voices and opening our ears and looking at, at other people and comparing their progress versus our progress, what we choose to focus on matters. And Nehemiah says, focus on what God has done. And then he says this, and I believe that this is a prophetic word for some people in the room today. He says, fight. Can you see it? Can you see him standing and gathering all of these workers that have been attacked all around him? Can you see him stand there? And can you see him say, fight? Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Friend, in a moment when they were close to giving up, Nehemiah reminds them what they were fighting for. And maybe you're here today and maybe it took every ounce of strength for you to get up this morning and to walk through these doors. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online and you're thinking of all the things, instead of remembering what God has done, you're remembering what you have done. And you're allowing the voices of intimidation and insecurity and doubt and discouragement to echo in your mind. And Nehemiah would say to you, as he said to them, don't come down off the wall. That all it is, is a voice. Remember what God has done and fight. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. Don't entertain the wrong voices. Fight for freedom from your addiction. Fight for a healthy marriage. Fight for 
your lost kids and grandkids. Fight for God's purpose and call for your life. Fight for your health. Fight for your career. Fight for your business. Just fight. Because friend, what you are fighting for matters. And it matters more than you know. Would you stand with us today? And you are more than a sing with us. If you don't have to leave, don't leave yet because I want to share. I want to share why it's important of where Sanballat and Tobiah came from in just a moment. Worship with us. You are more than able. it's important in the story to know where Sanballat and Tobiah came from. Sanballat was from the region of Moab. Tobiah was an Ammonite. The reason why it's important to identify that in the story, and honestly, I never knew it until this week, is that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God speaks to Joshua and the Israelites. And he gives them a command to destroy every one of these little nations that are in the area of Canaan, the promised land. And what God tells them to do is to destroy, to kill every living thing. And they failed to do it. This is hundreds of years before Nehemiah. And so what we're seeing in this story is we're seeing that now generations, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations after the command that God had given to destroy every living thing, and they didn't do it, to now the people of Israel these generations later are battling something because the, their forefathers were unwilling to fight the battle themselves. Friend, you and I have one of two choices in the battles that we face in life. We can fight or we can flee. 
fight or flee. The reality is, though, is that if we don't choose to fight, that we're going to end up passing those battles on to generations after us. That your kids, your grandkids, their kids, their grandkids will end up fighting just like Israel is fighting a Nehemiah the same battle that their forefathers were unwilling to fight. My question to you today, and I think what the Holy Spirit would begin to stir in your heart is what battle are you in the middle of right now that you've been unwilling to fight? That what you're fighting for matters. It matters more than you realize because it doesn't just impact your life, it impacts the generations that will come after you. You can win a battle today over addiction. You can win the battle today over insecurity. You can win the battle today over compromise. You can win the battle today over being average. You could win the battle today over just feeling inadequate and allowing that to disqualify you from God's purpose from your life. You could win today the battle over pride. Today, you could win the battle over selfishness. You could win the battle over depression, over unfaithfulness, over lust, over alcoholism, so that the generations after you don't have to fight the same battles. Will you fight or will you flee? It takes a man or woman of God to rise up in the midst of their battle, empowered by the Holy Spirit, tuning out the voice of the enemy that's trying to get you to get down off of your own wall in order to find victory so that the generations after you can experience the freedom that God has for them. You know, the verse right after in Deuteronomy 20, when God commands them to destroy, and if you're anything like me, you ask the question, well, why would God do that? Like, why would God tell them to destroy? And then the very next verse after it, God tells them that if you don't do it, their lifestyles, their habits, their idols are going to end up seeping into your life. And what's going to end up happening is your life is going to end up reflecting spiritual complacency. That it's going to begin to cause you to compromise spiritually. And some of you today You've been fighting the battle, but you're still allowing some of that stuff to breathe in your life. You're still playing with a little bit of it here and there, thinking it's not that big of a deal. God commanded them to destroy every breathing thing. For some of you today, You've got your foot on the neck of whatever that battle is. 
but you're still allowing it to breathe a little bit. And God's telling you in this moment that it's time to let it all go. It's time to let it all go. To quit dabbling with a little bit. Quit coming down off that wall. To start fighting battles today so that generations after you can experience the freedom of God in their life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, today, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that you would just begin to breathe hope again into this place. That those that have walked into into this building today, that those that are in the car listening to the message, those that are on their couch watching from home, that have been just, just being attacked by the voices of the enemy, that Father, they feel down, they feel discouraged, they feel like throwing in the towel, that Father, I pray that in this moment, that the breath, the fresh wind of your Holy Spirit would begin to breathe into them, that they would begin to to bring life into dry bones, that they would begin to stand up, to wipe the dust off them, and to keep fighting forward for the freedom of their future. So Father, we just, we give our lives to you. Father, forgive us for fleeing. Forgive us for not fighting the battles. God, today we make the determination in our heart to fight, to fight for our family, to fight for our career, to fight for our kids, because anything is possible through you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.